Afrolip fam. Welcome back to another episode. I am so excited because I am joined with the firebomb, blazing, umazi. Hey. From Blazing from Kenya. Yes, in ma'am. the 212 NYC now. But I'm so excited because she's here to just talk about all the different projects that she has going on. Again, you know, just highlighting the diaspora. I feel like Afro has a special love for Kenyans now. East Africa as a whole, obviously, because your girl. Hey. But, <laughs> but I just wanted to center our conversation just around again. There's so much. I think as it's crazy how there's only three months left in the year. And it's like so much has happened for like African culture, but Kenyan culture specifically. Like I feel like, because this year was the debut of like sailors. I feel like ethnic and like all these, like the Kenyan music scene has really exploded. Yeah. And I had a conversation about this with a few of their friends um, on a previous episode. Mm -hmm. But I feel like now, especially coming from like the video and like cultural side, I want to get your opinion on what, how you feel Kenyans in the diaspora are, Kenyan culture is, and like what your definition of what it means. Because I feel like, and what I continue to argue, is that Kenyans don't really have, like we don't have an aesthetic, but that's the good thing. Because we can be anything that we want. We, we yeah. can be anything that we want, we can create it. And like, I feel like that works to our benefit in the long run. But I feel like right now it's kind of hard because no one knows who to pinpoint. Like everyone just looks at Salty Soul. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> they have no they are nowhere. You know what I mean? Right. I have the they have soul generation and all that good stuff. But right now it's time for the youth. So thank you, Umazi. Welcome to Afro. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So let's take the people back. Mm -hmm. When did you first move to the US, like as a whole? Um, like, how old were you? What was the vibe? Was it education? Was it just family? Like, talk to us. So, I moved to the U.S. when I was 18. Okay. I moved here straight from high school to mm -hmm. come to college. So, I went to high school in South Africa, the African Leadership Academy. Oh, no. Nice. Yeah. So, ALA, shout out. Whoop, whoop. That's, is that Oprah's school? No. no. Oh, my God. They always do that to right? my school. Everybody's always like, is that Oprah's school? First of all, no shout shame. out to Oprah. It's shout so out to right. Oprah. I love you. You're doing great. But no, it's not Oprah's school. It's, it was founded by Fred Swanika, Chris Bradford, and two other guys. And so okay. it's a school that um, takes kids, well, students, teenagers from all over the continent mm -hmm. who have high potential, leadership potential, um, nice. in, and entrepreneurial potential. So you yeah. have some form of potential to enact change. And it's usually kids who are mm -hmm. way beyond their age. Um, you know, there's somebody two years before my class, yeah. who had built a whole windmill. He's called William Kamkwamba. You know the yes! story, the boy who harnessed the wind? wind yes. Yeah, so Netflix. So it's people like that that are attracted, wow. like the school guests. And yeah. it's financial aid. Of course. It's not, so it's purely merit. Wow. It's like, what can you do for Africa? Right. Um, and so I got in and then That's I, so amazing. I graduated from there and then I came to the U.S. Okay. And I went to Ohio, Oberlin College. Let's talk about your experience though in South Africa. Like, 
were you out of the, like the whole like your class were you the only Kenyan like once you found out that you got into that school like I can imagine your family must have been so excited and proud of you like yeah just taking the glow you know what I mean taking over yeah I was I was happy because okay so I went to Precious Blood mm-hmm. PB Riruta what's yeah. up public school <laughs> A44 so <laughs> I went to PB and I just you know the headmistress never liked me and I'll pull her yeah. on blast Mrs. Jacinta Akata <laughs> I will never forget you, arrest. No, we're not going to forget Uh this woman who made my life a living hell. So, Jacinta Katza, um, so when I was in PB, Uh they were like, oh, don't, um, they they never wanted, so when I was in PB, I was always in trouble. And not even because I did anything wrong, but (laughs) this lady just hated me from jump. Like, even my mother remembers that. The first day, it was orientation. We haven't even, like, we're just there to see the school Uh because it was a requirement. She just looked at where I went to primary school, and I went to primary school in a private school that was pretty expensive. So she just assumed off-rip that... Oh, this she's like a barb. She don't she, ah, like you know. So yeah, she had no idea the she, kind of voluntary exactly. work I had been doing, right. and like the kind of person I was. She mm, had no. She mm-hmm. just made this assumption, and that haunted me my entire high school year. Yeah, she was yeah. just pan- punishing me for mm-hmm. no reason, like from, like from from one, right? from from one. Yeah, but I she I was suspended, stroke, expelled, stroke. I left in form one. <laughs> yes, whole another story. Yeah, that's a story for a different day. <laughs> but anyway, but yes. she when when they were nominating people for African Leadership Academy, this one he had just started. She mm-hmm. like my class nominated me to be like one of yes. the people to apply to get a sponsorship from the school to apply. Um, and she said, I'm a disgrace to Kenya. And she shut it down. Like, yes, yeah, she shut it down. She said, I can never co-sign you going anywhere. You're such a disgrace to Kenya. Hiya. Two years later, I got in. And that's how the cookie crumbles. Yep. Exactly. So, so you just applied on your own merit. Like you didn't need your school, right? To yeah. No. So I went to a different school. school. And then because that school, it was called, oh, don't laugh. Shri Kuchi Level Patel Summer School. It was an Indian school. It was an Indian school. has the longest. Everybody right. in Nairobi knows the school has the yeah, longest name. name. <laughs> SCLP Samaj. Shout out. Whoop, whoop. Anyway, so I went to Samaj. And there I was like a star. Like yeah. I used to do. I had I would, I would. had 18 subjects. I think 19 subjects in high school. 19 classes that I used to take. And I used to get A's in all of them. Except computer science. That was not my class. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was such a star. And they loved me. I was always number one don't matter and I came and hit all the Indian boys they're like and the principal loved me he was like oh my god this black girl right this Kenyan Kenyan, she out here like I was my I was such a geek and then that's good yeah that's that was high school so high school now you're in South Africa you're amongst like your peers I'm assuming like people who are equally as smart, equally as talented. Oh, was yeah. there a lot of pressure to do well? Yeah, because even in in high school at Precious Blood, PB, it was the same. Yeah. Equally, like so many intelligent people. Because you know how 844 works. It's your, your grade that gets right. you into the school. Yes. And PB is like the top, one of the top schools. It's the top provincial school right. in Nairobi. So... Like, it was the same. So, in terms of that competitive culture, yeah. I wasn't not, I was used to it. Yeah. And at ALA, I just, I went crazy. I wilded out. Oh, my God. I was, I rebelled. Like, and then I remember in high school, I had blonde hair and I had red hair. Right. And, like, each time a donor used to come to school, 
They used to lock me in. They would be like, all right, Umazi, go in. They're like, nobody going to see your hair color because it's too much. Because what are you going to tell me? I had a mohawk, like, way before mohawks were a like, thing. Were thing. Before Rihanna yo, showed us yo, the way. Yo, I had a mohawk back in the day. It was crazy. Yeah. And I appreciate my mom because she kind of let me rock with a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she just saw your creativity and was like, you know what, instead of, and I think that's beautiful because for a long time, you know, there's always that stereotype that African parents don't support your yeah. creativity, but it's like, at least she saw it and she, yeah. let you do what you wanted. Yeah, she's always... you were bringing the grades. I think I know. <laughs> it's the grades. Yo, if I didn't have the grades, I know it would have been a different story. Ever since I was like a baby, my grades have always been on point. So she's never really like... Um, like I've, I've never been one of those kids who was awarded for getting an A. Like my mom was like, "This is this normal, is normal for her." So <laughs> if anything was below, it would be a problem. Oh my god! Computer wow. science, like she used to come come because I used to get E's. Hey. Yo, computer science defeated me. Even up to this day, technology is not my friend. Like. <laughs> I don't believe that now because I've seen you work the camera from behind the scenes and in front of the camera. So, but we'll get into that. So now you're in the U.S. Yes. You're in. You said you were in Ohio. Yeah, I, I went to Oberlin College. Nice. Um, and I was there for four years. Um, Oberlin was culture shock. Yeah. Hey. Imagine from Nairobi, like yes, first, and like those who don't know, like Nairobi has a culture, like it's just as fast paced as any metropolitan what? city. Nairobi like, is, it, it's like if what are you doing? I remember like you, you have to be on your toes. Yeah, it's a concrete jungle, just like New York, mm-hmm. but it's a raw version of New York. Like True. New York is a little bit refined. Of course, Nairobi is like, <laughs> like raw. Like it's like boom. You see people from the Bundus. You see yeah, people like everywhere. The cows. Yes, cows are walking, crossing the road. Like it's yeah, insane. It's I love it though. Yeah. So came to Oberlin, and so fun. Funny thing is, I had um, been brought to the U.S. earlier by like this um, group called We Are Family Foundation. I see. And. I was, a, they had an, um, awarded me like as a global teen leader. So because of the work I was doing in Kenya and yeah. stuff. So they had flown me here like to be part of like a week long conference and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I came to New York. The, my first experience coming to the U.S., I was picked up in a limo in the Hi. airport. I was in like, you know, a, a, five, a <laughs> good hotel. the standard. Oh, so In high. Midtown, right. Yeah. Good hotel in Midtown. It was in, it was in New York City. Yeah, so I'm amazing. out here like, and then my mom gave me a little pocket money. But what's like $600, $700 when you ha- you're just spending that on yourself? Like food, wow. everything is taken care of. So I was feeling like I'm bossing <laughs> off. Like when I tell you, yo, so when I went back to South Africa, this was when college. I was supposed to go to the UK to law school. Yes. I had been accepted at Cambridge, oh, um, UCL, Oxford, not Oxford, sorry, University of Manchester, uh-huh. um, and LSE, right? Yes. Those are the four schools that I applied to. I had been accepted. Wow. Oxford denied my application. First of all, Oxford, <laughs> I need to understand why. <laughs> I think it's because of the beef between them and Cambridge. And Cambridge, so they yeah. Probably so know she's Cambridge, a Cambridge girl. yeah. All right. So it's anyway, over. Cambridge. So, but. And then I was supposed to go to law school. Yeah. And then so I came back to South Africa. I was like, law school, where? I'm going to the U.S. Because yes. I assumed that the entire United States was like New York. Wrong. So I get to Ohio. I get to Oberlin. Son. I was like, wait. I'm back in the Bundus. 
Yo, I'm, this was different because I'm not from rural Kenya. Mm -hmm. I'm not from any rural environment. Mm -hmm. In high school, I went to Johannesburg for high school. <laughs> like, like, I've just been a city girl all my life. So, so that now was such taken, a culture shock. Yeah, I can imagine. And my college had only like 2,700 people. Like, it's too little. Like, from 9 million, no, from like 4 million mm. Nairobi, and I think and now it's like seven million. Seven yeah, th yeah, the same like, thing. Yeah. So it was insane. And then the other culture shock was my my mm -hmm. um, gender politics and like mm -hmm. the, you know matters for the LGBTQ. I was always open. I never thought anything of it. I was just like they're human beings, whatever. Yeah. I don't, you know, I never really cared. But when I went to Oberlin, it was. I don't want to say culture shock, but it was in, in a bad way, but it was a culture shock in like, oh my God, I had no idea about all the, like the politics yeah, um, with regards to <clears throat> being, being queer yeah, right. and the different terminologies yeah. and, you know, we, I had always mis, misidentified trans women yeah. as hermaphrodites because that's what we were taught in Kenya. Like, you know, <laughs> right. it's like, yeah. oh yeah, they have both a penis and a vagina. And, you know, like, it was just all these rumors and misconceptions mm. that just like... That are fueled by religion and also just like fear, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, so, if you make a group of people afraid of like another, then like, they'll just attack each other or like separate each other by nature. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. So now coming to Oberlin, it's like you're yeah, it completely really, exposed. Yeah. Oberlin really like refined my gender politics yeah. like so much. So I'm really grateful to that. To school for that and many other things, you know. Yeah. Um it helped me get my spirituality together. That's nice. Shout out to my um my dance mentor yeah. in college who was called Adenike Sharpley, Miss Ade, you know. Mm -hmm. Her program really grounded me. And much later after college, I'm still using the same fundamental spirituality and dance um fundamentals because dance and movement and, and spirituality go very hand in hand in African culture. Completely. Like, across the board i don't care where you're from like right. we used to dance when we pray you know like we use dance as prayer we used so i was able to find my spirituality through that so that's you know right. and, and i met think great about, people like even just to you know like piggyback off of what you're saying like think about even before you know church became like a huge establishment like we were always you know praising god and like doing that through dance like think yeah. about even when you go to church in any african place like there's all praise and worship is always a lit thing. Yeah. it's like dancing yeah. it sounds like that's why even when i listen i'm sure like we play gospel songs like in the club in kenya like, yeah no i know yeah <laughs> what oh my god <laughs> yes, when they, oh my god when they used to bring keroro you remember oh, keroro by <laughs> yeah no and then they would bring kunadawa by yeah. Esther. It would be like Keroro, Keroro, Kunadawa, Kunadawa. Yo, it's wild. It's so crazy. crazy. They, yeah, they play gospel music in clubs in Nairobi. That's like, like at, towards the end, like, and this is like two, three a.m. when everyone's drunk. Like, we're all supposed to like go home, sleep a little bit, so we all end up in church together. Like, that's just the vibe. It's hilarious. You know? I love so, it. So yeah, so I really I love that you say that. So talk to me more about just like what did you study when you were in? So did you study like movement through dance no. at all? No economics. Wow. <laughs> Econ and politics. 
what? And then I did Africana studies. I was like, Africana studies, my okay. So I was OD, yo. When I tell you, that's why I'm not seeing myself doing a master's anytime soon because <laughs> I was OD crazy in college. I had three majors, so I was a law and society major, econ. And um and politics, oh and then gosh. I was a Africana studies minor. I was insane. I was insane, and my GPA was amazing. I and I was partying. I want to say, God, thank you, <laughs> like thank you for my brain, cause it's just I have it's a no machine. Idea. That is, um, I feel like that's the African elite. <laughs> like when we talk elite, you're a part of that sentence because that's. Amazing. Wow. So you basically, how did you avoid burnout and all these things? Did you just always keep going? Was that your tenacity? Yeah, but it caught up with me like, yo, uh, junior, my, by the time I hit senior year, Mm -hmm. I had no, like, I was literally like struggling to finish. I'm surprised I graduated. I'm surprised. And then I took an honors. I was an honor student, like so. Yeah. I had an honor, so I had like Yo. my dissertation. Like it was insane. My senior year, I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm gonna do this. I don't know how I'm gonna finish. And wow. I had such a traumatic experience yeah. um, earlier that year here in New York. Yeah, and I was like, just I was still recovering from that, yeah. but there was no space to recover. Mm. So senior year was extremely difficult, and I feel like I I put in. My last um, energy yeah. into, <clears throat> excuse me, into into senior year, like mm-hmm. like that. It just took everything. I can imagine. And and like I was done. Like I don't see myself doing a master. I I'm still recovering <laughs> from, from undergrad. Like I that. I will never encourage anybody to do that. And the only reason I went so hard is because my my first orientation week. Yeah. It's a white girl who commented and said, oh, must be lucky to be here on affirmative action. And I'm <gasps> like, yo, hold up, sis. Get the F out of here. I got a 2200 on my SATs. Yes. I was like the top student in the world for AS history. This is like the British yes. exam we had to take. Like, don't come for me. My brain is, I'm sure, Elite. 10 times <laughs> more and like then you like don't don't play me like that so wow that's really that yo because she said that feel like you had to prove yourself yeah because she said that oh i went crazy and in my class i remember professor like students used to just make the weirdest comments i remember one time in my econ class this was econ 101 and the professor was like oh compare um compare between well, the GDPs of Nairobi and Luxembourg. And I was like, wow, like of Kenya and, and sorry, of Kenya and Luxembourg, the GDP per capita. And this girl goes ahead and she's like, oh, the extra, whatever, mm-hmm. variables, I want to get into it. Right. But like, <laughs> whatever. Just wrap it up for us. Yeah, they were like, oh, <laughs> she was don't like know. the safari. Oh, I mean, she was like, the reason why Kenya's GDP per capita is lower is because 90% of the economy is tertiary because every, like, 80%. She was coming. I was like, where are you getting these numbers? numbers? She's like, 
producing all these funny numbers because eighty percent of the economy doesn't have a literacy uh, up to yeah, like up so to reading skill level. We so we don't know how to read. We so don't know that's how why. To. So all our our entire economy is like primary based. So farming and all of that, and because we're such a primary, heavily primary based economy, and we're not like a manufacturing economy or uh, a tertiary, which is like service right, and yeah. everything, um, that pushes us. us to the back. Um, and then she she goes ahead and says, and is and why we're still in the primary phase is because nobody has um, nobody has the intellect the intellect to be able to push us into the secondary and the tertiary. And and then she says, oh yeah, I know all this because I did a three week safari and and I was like, yo. Wow. <laughs> I turned back and I, I said, oh, that's so crazy because I just miraculously appeared in this class right, out here, from, like being from Kenya. Right, and like, I was like, schooled in the Africa. literacy rate in Kenya is 93%, sis. Like, don't get it twisted. Yeah. Way higher than the U.S., which is a 68%. Come yeah. correct. Like, come on. Come no. on, boo. Let's, and I feel like that's really interesting because right now, in terms of quality of life, you get a better quality within the continent than yeah. you do in the United States. Yeah. And I feel like so much of that is forgotten because they just see the stereotypical idea or they and it's not even like now I feel like the media is now shifting, but it's still this like inherent like this colonialized yeah. view <clears throat> of Africa. Yeah. So it's like now you've entered into this space, you're living here, you're meeting all of these different Americans who have like their own preconceived ideas about Africa. How did you continue? You know, like, did you continue to work in like, did you use your majors now going into your creativity? Like how explain to me like when you made the jump. To creative, the, yeah. So I've always been a creative person. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was two, mm -hmm. three years old, I won a competition for um, HIV awareness. Like Amazing. I made a calendar for HIV awareness. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was stick figures, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was that that You've that young. Winning. I had. Yeah. I was able to understand. You had the vision. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then. When I was, you know, 15, I did a couple other art projects. Um, but then when I was 18, I was like an activist. Yes, yes. And I ran this campaign called I Am Kenyan that used photography yes. to unite, pretty much bring people together um, In when we were going towards the 2013 elections. Yeah. Because in 2007, we had, you know, e we experienced a period of like violence mm -hmm. and literally at the brink of a civil war yeah um because of like the election results mm -hmm. and i was caught up in that mess and oh, i was wow. able to get out alive yeah. and i was like we can't go we can't go, go back, back there because yeah. like when you see death <laughs> in your yeah. face you know that, that was, was really Kenya scary too. yeah yeah that was really scary so you know I, I was able to get out so much later when i was in south africa we were we had to do these research projects mm -hmm. and like a lot of um, sources I was reading were just like anticipating another breakout and they were like oh my god they, the state of the economy is so bad right now that if we have another election and we go into a like post-election balance violence, again yeah. it's going to be like full-blown civil war so I'm like yo we cannot we cannot oh, afford yes. that so I started this campaign I was using photography um, peace marches music mm -hmm. art 
um, as a and social media. So it really started on social media, and I was and asking on people. Twitter, <laughs> KOT. Actually, Facebook. I was asking mm-hmm. people to take pictures of themselves yes. and with the tag "I am Kenyan", Kenyan. and make it their profile mm-hmm. picture. It went viral. Mm-hmm. I started receiving pictures from all over the world. So like people in um in like Spain were sending yes. me pictures saying like you know we support the cause. We're not That's Kenyan, beautiful. but we're gonna be Kenyan. And they yeah. had. Um, they take a picture of themselves saying I am Kenyan then they made it their profile picture and so people were changing their profile pictures with the tag I am Kenyan and so everybody was like oh my god what's this I am Kenyan and then that's how we started moving and then so people started hitting me up on Instagram they're like on Facebook they're like you can't keep it on social media you have to take it to the ground so that's how we took it to the ground and we had all these marches fought with the police always we've you know we've we've been there right i've had my moment with activism i don't think i'm gonna be an activist for a long time because man because the trauma you don't understand kenya has its own people kenya has its own owners and what i was doing was going against Against. what the the owners want and I'm just a little person who just has this beautiful vision and love for my country and yo they're like no sis so (laughs) they sabotaged me they hacked my my, like a website they they did so much I was in situations I was assaulted I was like receiving death threats I like I just I exiled myself you know what's interesting I think you're definitely not alone in this. I mean, there's, you know, people like Boniface Mwangi yeah. and, like, even just others, you know, who are involved in, like, that work who constantly tell me. And even on social will be, I'm, I'm sure you know of um, Ori Okello. Yeah. Yeah, so she's lit- she lives in South Africa now. She doesn't yeah. live in Kenya. And she we all run away. Like, <laughs> Boni, yo, Boni, shout out to him. He he's, stayed. He stayed. Yo, yeah, me and Boni, I remember... When I was doing I Am Kenyan, he was doing, um, I mean, he's always been doing Power 254, but like, we were like, I remember one time we had such a heated discussion on radio. Yeah, because he was like, what do you think you can do with these pictures? You're so elitist. Because, you know, I'm like a barb. (gasps) Like, I'm their eyes. So, yeah. yeah, So, so, like, for those who don't know, there's a really a distinct divide between, like, the, I want to say, even though you're not an expat, but you would be considered a part of the expat community just because of, like, your merit, how you were able to, through your merit, to go to South Africa. Yeah. And, like, you know, you probably have a lot of international friends. So the moment you have any friend that isn't Kenyan, you're immediately put into that group by someone who's like considered more local. Yeah. So there's a beef between like locals and like the expats. The diaspora. And the diaspora. Right. And it's like, and it's not even, and then sometimes it's like internalized too. So it's like you two would be debating in Kenya on the radio when you're fighting the same cause. Yeah, we were. And that's why I was like, and I hit him up and I I mean, like on radio, like it was so hot. The the manager of the (laughs) station came down. He was like, what the hell? Yo, we went in on each other because he was telling me I'm such a barb. What do I understand about poverty? What do I understand about yeah. all this? And I'm like, don't come for me like that because you don't know me. You don't know my story. Yeah. I may have been born in a, born in a middle class, you know, family. family. and But you don't know my mother. My mother had to work for me. Like, the only reason I was in middle class, my mother was poor. Right. You feel me? Yeah. Like she wasn't middle class. Right. She was she sacrificed so she was everything for you. Yes. so that me and my brothers could be middle class. 
And now it's the reverse. I'm working so that she can be, be rich, right. you know, because now she's middle class. I'm trying You're to take you know, it to the top. Exactly. And there's so, no point. She, you can. Exactly. You so, yeah. It was just all of that. And eventually I was like, don't come for me because I almost lost my life. The same way when you were a photographer for KTN and Standard and you saw people being slashed with machetes and there was nothing you could do. I was one of those people who was almost slashed by a machete because I look like my skin color is like this. And they're like, oh, you must Must be be Kikuyu. And I'm like, yo, I'm nowhere near. And even if I was (laughs) Was Kikuyu, Kikuyu. what the hell? Like, you're not going to try and kill me off like because I appear lighter skin than like other Kenyans. So, you know, it was just stupidity. So I was like, so eventually when I said that, he was like, all right, she got a cause. Yeah. But even if that didn't happen to me and I decide to do this. Use your platform and use your privilege. And that's the thing that they don't like, which is really interesting because I feel like in America it's the opposite like they want more I feel like they we love it when like people who are white or wherever whatever use their privilege to like talk about causes you know yeah. what I mean like I feel like they get more praise like Ben Affleck got more praise for like Saved Our Four than like actual Sudanese <laughs> activists <laughs> who are trying to save Darfur. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like there's always going to be that internalized debate, you know? And it's like, I'm glad that you were able to rise above it. So yeah. like, tell me more about just how, okay, so you've le- left the activism world, yeah. but you've still now used your creativity, have been working. When did you decide to do the Mizani project? The, the project? Yes. Okay, so... After I did actism, yeah. I had a fashion house in Kenya. Amazing. Um, that's we're kind of restarting it, so yeah. that's fun. But then, then um, I've always been a visual artist. Yeah. Um, but I, it's only this year that I've been able to articulate mm-hmm. what that is, because I could always see things, but I couldn't, I couldn't be the one to shoot it. But I know how I want it to look. Mm-hmm. I, I could tell you what to do, but I. I didn't understand. I didn't know what the language is for such a person, a person who can listen to a song and put and tell the story visually Mm -hmm. or who can Mm -hmm. just tell stories visually and just bring in different elements together. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so that's how I ended up as a producer. And I ended up as a producer because of my current job. So when I was hired as an intern, they had me doing something completely different. And just just somehow I worked through the ranks and I figured out this is actually what I love doing. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what, because this is what I love doing. This is what I want to do. I don't have anything to show for it. So that's how Mizani came about. Um, Mizani, I I turned 25 this year and I will say that this year is the one year I I feel like I've really come into my African identity. Um, Mm. And I say African because now as being a child of the diaspora, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's, it's a certain aesthetic to that. Yeah. Um, And and I haven't been home in a while, so I I don't want to you know, assume, be like, I assume yeah, that, that this is Kenyan. Kenyan you're just exactly. Kenyan, right? So that's why I say African. Um, but more specifically, my own internal love for like my skin, mm. my melanin. It's a lot of ways that I had internalized racism against myself, you know, just like, wow. I had, you know, even though here I'm, I'm dark skinned, but in Kenya, they call me yellow bone, right? Mm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I know. I know. So even if when I was younger, I had the privilege, quote unquote, yeah. of like being a yellow bone, because colorism is everywhere. Especially, um, and it's weird how in, but in Kenya, one thing that really, 
I guess it's, I wouldn't say it's better, but it's just different, is that we attach class to it. Yeah. So it's like if you're, you know, yellow bone and you're in a middle class, it's like, oh my gosh. It's everything. Yeah, you're, you're the win. one. You, you're you like, win. like you got it. You know what I mean? You got all the sauce. Everybody loves you. Everybody's checking for you. There's no quality. <laughs> all <laughs> There's the music no, videos. Right, exactly. You're all the opportunity. Like, it's fine. And it's like, that still even works if you're darker skin, but you still have, like, you know what money. I mean? Yeah, it's as like, long as you're in the right class, you can win. It doesn't money. matter if, however you look, whatever. Money Money, talk. money talks. So, yeah, so... <clears throat> I, I'd always like mm-hmm. thought about bleaching my skin. Wow. Hated my hair. Hated my hair. Um, you know, like it's little microaggressions mm-hmm. or like little things that I used to hate. Like even just moving away. It's certain things I was doing that was feeding into colonial culture. First thing, if anybody couldn't speak proper English, mm-hmm. like if you were like, you know how Kenyans yeah. people when I shema, like. <laughs> What is Shema in English? What a, um, what a, I don't know what like, it is. Yeah, like, like, they're, they, like they're saying, like they're like talking, like the way yeah, that they speak. Yeah, okay, so the vernacular, this yeah, is what the, it the, is. The vernacular. The, 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 the local the dialect yeah. comes into like mm-hmm. English. So for, for people who are not aware of what this means, so... For instance, like a tribe, like the Kikuyu, which right. is the, like the most, right. they, they switch the L's and R's. R's. So <laughs> instead of saying library, they would say library. <laughs> so so come like, for us, y'all. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, so, you know, first thing first, I'll consider you Bush and like just, you know, right. just why would that, that makes no sense because this is a colonial language. Right. It's absurd for me to, to expect you Somebody, this is not your first language. This is a foreign language that has been thrown on you because of this oppressive structure. And, you know, so moving away from paradigms like that, thinking like Mm. that, which is like the common thought process in Kenya. And it's only this year that I realized how British I was. You know, like I was like people don't understand that. I think that's why Mm. Kenyans don't really have like. A, a a aesthetic is because our aesthetic is British and people don't even want to accept that but we're so British and bland and I'm sorry to say this but you can you can see England in Kenya we drink tea six times a day you know I only I only realized that that's not even a Kenyan thing when I came to the US <laughs> I realized that's a British thing that we just yeah, we just we just, we just adopted. Yeah, I didn't even know foods like biryani is not even Kenyan. Biryani is from Pakistan. So <laughs> okay, I will I will hold you to that though because coast coast is like a different ball know, game. Co- yeah, that's you know what yeah. I mean. Like I feel like we have we have our biryani. We have I mean that's also like pilau. You know what I mean? And like Swahili dishes, like it's yeah, there is a right. Kenyan element to I that. I mean, okay, yeah, but, but like but of course, like it derives from, from our Indian and just because we're Arab. All, yeah, yeah. It, just because we're also you know think about the geography. Like that's true. The Indian Ocean is right there, and like who's our next stop? Yeah. India. The and then the, sla- the the Arab slave trade that was Arabs, our right yeah, the Arab trade that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense but you know anyway it's a lot of things that we We've as Kenyans have adopted away from our local mm. I would say like our ethnic identities mm-hmm. like you see how Nigerians have picked up 
your elements from Yoruba culture, elements yes. from Igbo culture, elements from Hausa culture, yeah. and they kind of made it Nigerian. Like that's their aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Ghana the same. The tree, their shanty, mm-hmm. the fanti. Like they, you know, mm-hmm. they've made it their same. But Kenya is one. One thing people don't understand is Kenya was a settler colony. So mm-hmm. Nigeria, Ghana, and all the other British colonies. White people did not move to settle there. They yeah. just sent one or two colonial officers and to handle like, the entire place. And then they mm-hmm. made they put Africans in charge to rule other Africans. Whereas in Kenya, they had a whole, like, by the time we were getting independence, four million British people lived in Kenya. The queen found out she was the freaking queen in <laughs> Kenya. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, she gave Mount Kilimanjaro... First of all, Mount Kilimanjaro and Mount Kenya, the two highest mountains in Africa, belong to Kenya. And guess what the crown queen of English <laughs> did? She was like, oh, my nephew is turning whatever. And for his birthday, I'm going to gift him a mountain <laughs> because Tanganyika was, co- was being right. colonized by Germany. Right. And like, like literally. Literally uh, just like trash. playing around. Like this, Kenya was their playground. Literally, Kenya was their garden spot. Mm-hmm. British people loved Kenya so they moved there in such heavy and that them moving there and literally enforcing Mm -hmm. their culture on us because we had to Mm -hmm. adapt to like you know to 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 fit fit their thing because they set the norm norm yeah they set the stand they told us like this is the standard and you have like this you will fit you know what i mean and like that's even why you know we always complain about nairobi traffic and whatever it's because the city was not meant to grow no like the settlers all the british people who made that city they wanted it to stay for the settlers like it was not intended to now have these vast areas of living and no. Karen and all these good stuff you know so it's really really interesting yeah. what you're saying so so that's why and even even Zimbabwe if you look at Zimbabweans they're they're very much like Kenyans even the way we act the way we talk Zimbabwe was also a settler colony and so that's why Robert Mugabe chased all <laughs> That's like one of the best things <laughs> he ever did. Everything right, else he did was trash. Right. It was true, complete trash. But yes, yeah, so we peace. were yeah, we were settler colony. So you know, all those factors mm. just it's only this year that I realized how British I was and I actively started working away from some of the things I was thinking. You know, I started I actively started like getting in touch, in tune with my spirituality, you mm-hmm. know, not to say, you know, Christianity and Islam is pure. It's the same thing. However, you know, when I, I believe that in Christianity, you're praying, you pray to God and Jesus is like a mediator. So you yeah. can pray to Jesus. So Jesus is an ancestor, right? right. Um, but he's an ancestor that is not my ancestor. Right. Prophet Muhammad is the same thing. Prophet right. In Islam, you pray to God, but you also adhere to the teachings of Prophet Muhammad and, and you navigate your life with others and with God through the teachings of Prophet Muhammad. Prophet Muhammad is an ancestor too, but he's not my ancestor. Mm. So I've been doing a lot more work trying to reach into and figure out what were the spiritual practices of my people because it's the same exact concept. Me mm. praying to God and asking my ancestors for mediation, Yeah, those were my people. Right. Those are my culture. So... Just coming into my spirituality in that way, coming into my spirituality, you know, away from like the colonial frameworks that have been given to me, mm-hmm. coming to my spirituality and understanding that my culture was rich way before the British people. Completely. You know, 
uh, mentally unwiring, you know, things like being taught in school that colonialism was good for mm. us because it brought more Danity and Christianity. Like, <laughs> I cringe at the fact that I had to answer that question in, a, in an exam. Yeah. Like, what are the benefits of colonialism? Like, that's an actual <laughs> exam, exam question. question. Like, in Kenya. Yeah. Benefits? Yeah. Benefits? Oh, my God. I wow. remember like, having, because, you know, of course, like, having the same sort of upbringing as you. Like, I remember being in school and because I had a lived in New York already and then came back so now I remember feeling like this just feels really weird like you know it never sit sit well in my spirit but it was just like okay I guess this is the norm so then having to unlearn there's so much unlearning and then relearning that we're doing that we yeah. have to do yeah. yeah so it's so that's what Mizani is about, about Mizani mm-hmm. is really about how my spirituality and just me l- learning to connect because I had shut religion you know yeah. completely like i had i always prayed to god i always believed in god but and i was always spiritual but yeah. i just had no formula i mm-hmm. just used to wake up say a prayer be gone right. and sometimes i never even used to say a prayer you know like but i still believed in <laughs> yeah, god i yeah, still knew yeah, there was a higher yeah. power but it's it's through dance in college and then after mm-hmm. college you know having to do orisha dances mm-hmm. and it's through yoruba spirituality and having to take classes in that and having to write papers on that and, and all of that, that I found my way into the spirituality of the Luya and Duruma people, which mm-hmm. is where I'm from. Yeah. Um, and and how they, they, they prayed and mm-hmm. all of that. And it's because of that that I've been able to find my African identity. So Mizani is just a story. It's a visual representation of that. So okay. I start by, if you watch the video, yeah. um, the first part is, and it'll be linked in the show notes, so everyone will see it yes. on your website. Yes. So if you see Mizani, the first part of Mizani is me. Okay, so I play all three characters. The yes. three characters. There is Musimbi. Mm. Um, they all these are my names. Sophie, yes. Umazi, Musimbi. Yeah. So there is Sophie. Sophie is I would say the British colonized right. neocolonial part. <laughs> I mean, it's my first name, yeah. and it's a Western name. And then Umazi is who I am, and that's what yeah. I identify who I go as yeah. and then Musimbi was the African part like okay. my African identity so in the in the film you'll see Musimbi and Uma, Musimbi is caressing Umazi yeah. and it looks like they're in heaven or they're in a spiritual place yeah. or somewhere that's not on this plane mm. and the reason for that is and, and in that part is purely African drums mm. there's no speaking there's no nothing and to, my commentary on that is that the most African I've ever been is in my mother's womb because mm. as soon as I was born, my first name is Sophie. So boom, as soon as I was you born, colonial like I was assimilated into the colonial, neo-colonial like framework and structure, mm-hmm. you know, that had been going. So then, so I start and then I show how as a child, the first things I was taught was how to be European and Muslim because mm. my family was Muslim. So yes. two foreign the entities. the entities that are not even African. So that's the second part. That's the commentary on that. Mm-hmm. And then when I start going to college and I start doing my own research, there's a conflict. So you'll see the next part of the of the, the, the um, music gets faster, fast paced. The words get faster and it's a conflict. You'll see like mm-hmm. almost like a conflict is happening. Um, and then the last phase is a resolution where which is where I am right now in my life, which is mm-hmm. this stage of, okay, I've understood that this is 
my reality. Yeah. There's nothing I can really do to change that except find balance. And so that's what Mizani is. Mizani means weighing scale in Swahili. Mm. And it's about finding a balance because over time, over the past years, I've over-prioritized these foreign identities. I've always over-prioritized my neo-colonial identity. I've always taken pride in speaking proper English. <laughs> And I, now I'm ashamed that I cannot speak Luya or, mm. or Duruma, but I can speak English, Arabic, and Swahili. Even though Swahili is a local language, but it is a foreign language because yeah. it's not indigenous to Kenya. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. so like, it's a lingua franca. You know, it's yeah. like one of those things that's like, it's familiar to the area. So it's like Congo, yeah. Swahili, uh, but no, they Tanzania. Don't. Don't. <laughs> Congo. DRC, DRC. Like they what is Batoto? The Congolese Swahili is ba 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 ba. That's not Swahili. That's pidgin. That That's is Buzani's opinion. <laughs> that is not the reflective of Afrolit's opinion. <laughs> yes, that's my opinion. I always tell Congolese, nah, y'all don't speak Swahili. Oh no. It's a it's a it's a it's a Creole Swahili. Okay, I can agree Swahili. to that. It's like a patois. It's a patois. It's mm -hmm. a pigeon. Mm -hmm. It's a something, mm -hmm. but it's not like that's what Congolese people speak. <laughs> that is not Swahili. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and you could say the same for Kenyans because I know what yeah. Tanzanians like hey. Tanzanians speak. Hey. There's certain diamond songs I still will never Yo, understand. I still <laughs> don't understand what diamond says. <laughs> Today I went, I was like, so on my on my IG, I yes. quoted one of Diamond and I was like, what the hell is Nyegezi? <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the I went kas, Kamusi Sanifu And I'm like Nyegezi Nyegezi is not even In the Kamusi It's not even In the dictionary So I was like Wait what And then Only to find out That is Nyege But then he added a Z Yeah so Yeah Nyegezi yeah, but, like, but so they remix it And I mean That also speaks to Just who we are As a yeah. people And I love the Mizani project Because it just showcased And highlights that like you, by being inherently African, you know, coming from an African woman's womb, you, and what I believe is that you, that makes you African. And however you choose to take it and define it is like your definition. Mm -hmm. And that's like your universe. And like, that's what we need to be able to accept mm -hmm. as, you know, and that's what makes it beautiful. Cause it's like, it can be anything that the individual wants it to be. Yeah. You know, it's only when you negate that side that like, things get really murky or yeah. you try to profit off of something that's already inherently yours. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. I think right now that's the biggest thing, you know? So how do you feel about just being Africa, being for sale and being like a trend, you know, like, <laughs> because I think that that's, that's the issue with all of this stuff. You know that's what I mean? True. You can see it in fashion. Yeah. But then also fashion you know, has always and now especially in, in music, music. <laughs> you know, and how there's Afro beats and you know, I think Burna Boy has done a really good job of defining like he's taken it into a new level where now there's Afrofusion. Fusion. Yeah. And it's like that's a completely different genre and there's and that's what separates him, right? Yeah. But now and I love the way that you define this, you know, Kenyans have swag too. Yeah, and we, we have do. our trap. We do. we do you know, Wam Lambez. Wam <laughs> no, like, I so it's yeah. Genge. I mean, so for me, I would say a lot of people can disagree with me, mm -hmm. but one thing that works for Nigeria is the fact that they have 190 million people it's, in their that's country a fact. and like 50 million in the diaspora. Yeah, and they rock like they'll like, internally fight, but you would never, never see know that. It. They're one people. Like that's one thing. Yeah. So Nigerians 
if you also look at the U.S., the U.S. has a population of 320 million people. Mm -hmm. So if you look at in terms of exporting product or in terms of like the power the people have, if you're thinking from a PR perspective, Nigeria is a PR machine. Yeah. And then on top of that, they've been doing Nollywood for the longest. So already like Nigerian culture is very widely popular on the continent. So it's right. not so far-fetched to see why Afrobeats might as well be called Nigerian music. Right. You know, like right. what we're seeing right now in terms of people saying, oh, this is African music. Yes, it is, but it's Nigerian music. It is Let's Nigerian just call music. it a spade a spade. It's not African music because you have Coupe de Calais from Côte d'Ivoire. You have Lingala from Central Af uh, from Congo. Kodiku, yeah. You have Afro House, Kwaito mm -hmm. from South Africa. And you have Kuduro mm -hmm. from Angola. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so many sounds. Genres. You know, you have Ugandan Dance Hall mm -hmm. that Eddie Kenzo does. Right. You know, Radio you, have, you have Genge, which is Wamlambez. <laughs> you know, and then you have Sauti Soul, which is like, a like African. African you know, R and B, right? It's like a, right. I don't even know like what to call their. Yeah, it's right. like African R and B. That's yes. their sound. So, so my issue is, all right, we're in, mm -hmm. right? I feel like now we need to make space for it. Not make space, but there needs to be a, a bigger emphasis on pushing the other versions. And I think that's the same challenge hip hop has, you know? Yes. Because what's mainstream. And all the other alternative versions of hip hop don't really like make it there. Mm -hmm. So all in all, I am happy. I'm I'm excited. I'm proud. It's it's given. It's brought me a lot of opportunities. I mean, I'm in this space because of Afrobeats. You know, right. I, I, like on the side, I do Afrobeats dancing, and it's you know that world yeah. has opened me up. Right. You know, just I mean, even on the internet, you know, the fact that there's literal choreographers like there's so many izzy and what's her name sherry silver who yeah. have literally done like global things from just african it's like it's creating like new yeah. opportunities and i think for me what really makes me excited about afrobeat so much is for the longest we as africans have eaten american culture and when i say american culture that's black american culture because american culture what is exported to the rest of the world is black american culture like african americans own whatever is the 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 they measurement of coolness is them and now in africa is nigerians let's just be real right that's the reality so that that so what i'm really happy about is that now they get a chance to share from our side, like they get a chance to experience our side. Because for the longest, they, I'm sure they probably didn't even know that Afrobeats existed because in the Grammys, they still call it world category and they throw everybody in there. And the African music that I know what used to be exported <laughs> here is the drums and all of that. They didn't even know like Angelique people, right? People, mm -hmm. I mean, I love Angelique, Me but too. like, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, like, she's a bad example, but you know, it's like that yeah, sound. That sound is she's what they won assume. Grammys and nominated yeah, for Grammys because she's the world music, you yeah. Know? But it's very jazzy, very fella, you know, it's very. Like mm. they always Sunny Ade, uh, like you know, all of those, right. yeah. Daudi Kabaka. That's mm. what they thought was African music, but this is in the sixties, seventies. <laughs> I so know. So we evolved just yeah. like the same way hip hop, you know. So we evolved, and we've like I can remember. I remember listening to Afrobeats like in two thousand eight with like P Square, like mm -hmm. in the concerts and everything. Dami Duro, Dami Duro, twenty ten. Yo, Dami Duro. <laughs> that hey. was the first <laughs> <laughs> Whiskey Daniels, holla at your boy. <laughs> Back in the day. 
But, you know, wow. what I'm really excited about is the culture share and the space Afrobeats is bringing in terms of diasporic um, collaboration. Mm-hmm. You know, I love how, you know, now we're having African-American artists and hip-hop artists uniting uh, with Caribbean, you know, dancehall mm-hmm. artists and on an Afrobeats track. You know, or like Afrobeats, now it's Af- there's Afro dancehall, mm-hmm. there's Afro fusion, there's, you know, there are all these Afro things. Pop. There's Afro hip hop. I mean, you can't really say that because hip hop is Afro. So, but right. like, there's like whatever that I mean, is, right. whatever that fusion is, hip hop, Afro beats fusion. You know, there's also that. So, I just love the language we're creating. Right. My only critique is that there needs to be a bigger emphasis for people to, to, to widen up the sound mm. just so that it's not one sound that's b- representing the entire. Con- the entire continent, continent like Beyonce did she's like my love lets her to, to Africa. Africa but sis you use three artists from three African countries Nigeria Ghana South Africa and you had an Afro house track but then everything else is Afrobeats with R&B and hip hop so you can't really say that is a love letter to Africa that's a love letter to Nigeria featuring Ghana and South Africa. Let's call it a spade, a spade. And there's nothing wrong, wrong with, with that, that because you did not do the work. Right. Because if you did the work, you'd know that there are all these other mainstream sounds that each region kind of has. Right. So so that's just my only critique, that the com- the commercial... Cool. Commercialization. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh-huh. The commercializ- commercialization is doing yeah. what... Capitalist white supremacist structures have always done with African art. They just blanket it as this one thing and export it for the masses without understanding and explaining the complexities and intricacies of what it means to be African. And that's the issue I have with the direction the monetization is going. And I feel that we as Africans, one, we need to work better with each other you know even here in the afrobeats community i'm an afrobeats dancer i see how dancers i see the politics within the dance industry and i feel like we'll be stronger if we unite if we work as a collective right now we're all pulling in different directions and that's not good because then guess what we will not benefit from this and my biggest fear is africans not eating a single penny or, or getting anything from the fact that we've gone mainstream right now. It's happened in hip-hop. If we, if anything, let's learn from, from the, the early mistakes. years <laughs> and the mistakes of, like, our hip-hop, like, elders and ancestors and, you know, like, our hip-hop mm-hmm. legacy. Like, let's learn from the mistakes that they did. Let's learn and see how white corporate and how white supreme, supremacist structures still infiltrated like that. Yes, what Beyonce did came from her heart, but she acted as a white capitalist. Because what what she did is she went, she took advantage of a trend that's happening right now, happened to link it with Lion King. Lion King is set in the Sahara, you know, grassland, the savanna grassland. We we have a real big problem with it because we are East African. And I, but again, and I love what you're saying because it, it, also comes back into the internalized dialogue that we have with ourselves. If we don't value and love and like really cherish who we are and like what we have, we'll always give it away. We'll always have, there'll always be, it doesn't even have to be beyond, it can be anybody. Yeah, It can even be someone else like ourselves. We need self-esteem. I think the thing with Africans is 
We do. We don't think we're the ish. We don't. We really don't. And it's, I had to come to the years to be like, yo, I'm the ish. Oh, my God, my skin. Oh, I'm the ish, you know. But we really don't think like that. You know, mm-hmm. in Kenya, you feel good when somebody says you have an accent. Oh, where are you from? Mm-hmm. You're American. You How feel good. How is it that East Africans love doing this? I feel like Uganda, I'm coming for everybody. Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya. We come to New York. We'll spend one week. Yes, I'm Oh, from. my God. We go home and it's a whole. We can't even now. speak Swahili. Yeah. Right, son. <laughs> but that's the internalized. <laughs> that's the internalized hate like, we have for ourselves. Were you just speaking Kiswahili uh, like a week ago? Like, I know. Literally, it's like mm, no. <laughs> yeah, but if you, yeah. but if you've been taught that colonialism was good for you because it brought modernity and Christianity. Uh, the moment five, you spend a week yeah, abroad, it's a, like exact, take everything <clears throat> you can get. That makes sense. So that's why it's so easy. For us to feel like it's okay for people to take from us because we really don't value ourselves like genuinely. Like the things like in Kenya, the things we let our government do. I, do we value ourselves as Kenyans? Mm, no. Yo, do we really value ourselves? The MPs just increased their salary two, three weeks ago again. <laughs> again. We just like two, three, four what was it in 2014 or 2015 yeah we were like i was part of like with yeah. boniface and them like yeah. the um MPs the, the Ukwali, Ukwali party no no when we they when uh that we all well i was when boniface yeah. organized um pigs oh yes oh my god that I was, was you that, <laughs> i was in that mix like no it wasn't uh, okay why yeah i was part, part of, of that yeah. organization okay wow yeah so like uh, yeah, 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 no. Like I, I was part of the protest. Like I went to the protest. We organized. I organized my I am Kenyan people. We mm-hmm. pulled up. Yo, we were in there. Like we were out there. Like yeah. just to think that we made all that noise for what? Because yeah. they're still out here changing. They're still out here. Look at what the Chinese are doing. And we've literally know, sold Africa. Yeah. Like we've literally sold out here. Like because the Chinese, which is just so sad. It it's, is. It really it is. is so sad. So, and I feel that. Because like that will make it so easy for us to to not profit to, to not to lose the value of Afrobeats. Because my hope is that it's able to trick and trickle down all the way back mm-hmm. to like the the slums of Kenya, the ghettos of Kenya, mm-hmm. the ghettos of Nigeria. Because this is where Afrobeats started. Afrobeats did not start like in the posh the posh area. No, Afrobeats started in the hood. It started yeah. in the hood. It's fella fella singing about the hood right. of Nigeria, the struggles of like the poor right. people in Nigeria. Yeah, that's where Afrobeats started in Kenya. Genge, it, the sound. Yes. It was the hood. Wamlambes, Wamnyonyes. Yeah, it's in the hood. Exactly. Like you know, South so Saudi. <laughs> what exactly? So for me. I'm just thinking that those people are they yeah. gonna benefit? Yeah, you know, are they are they the the people who really created it? Are they gonna benefit, or is yeah. it just us out here in the diaspora who are who have access to Instagram, who have access to Facebook, who have access to all these artists, mm-hmm. who have access to all these materials? Are we the only ones who are gonna benefit from Afrobeats, or will our people back home in the ghettos benefit? And I think that's the biggest challenge and question I want to ask everybody who's in this world, who's in this industry. And that's that's my goal. I want to be able to build the infrastructure so that like the people in Kenya can benefit off 
this wave, this art, this part, this movement that they're part of, you know, and contribute towards and contribute it. towards it more yeah. clearly and better. Um, and I think the only way we'll do that is if we're able to attach a spiritual value to our culture. If we right now we've attached a monetary value to a culture, and that's wrong because then now our culture is for sale. Mm. Once we attach a spiritual value to a culture, it will never be for sale because we'll understand that it has to go on to the next. It has to be passed on to the mm. next. So we'll protect it. We'll protect it in a way that nobody will be able to take it away from us and we'll be able to sustain it. So mm. that's my biggest goal is like, yeah. can we bring back spirituality into a music can we bring back spirituality into a dance because that's how our ancestors prayed our ancestors prayed through song and dance yeah. there's a song for like i know when there's a song for everything there's yeah. a song for the harvest when there's no yeah. rain you dance there's a rain dance yeah. there's a rain dance so that the ancestors the gods can listen to you this is how the vibrations the vibrations from our body connecting with the earth that's an energy exchange. Mm -hmm. That's a, like, that's a lot. Like we've just lost it. And I don't yeah. blame us because we lost it because we were, it was taken away, away from, from us. us. But I think we need to do a better job at just really like tapping, into, tapping it. into it and just trying to bring that back. And so that's why Mizani was the way it was. Mm. It's talked about my colonial struggle, but it had very heavy spiritual emphasis on it because i asked the question why doesn't god my god look like my father mm -hmm. love like my mother fight i mean my god look like my lover you know fight like my father love like my mother you know why is the image of god that i'm given to look nothing like me yet i'm made in the image of god and i feel like god is white god is black god is yellow god all is green it. god is all of us god mm -hmm. is in us we're in god god looks exactly mm -hmm. like you god looks right. exactly like me i'm exactly. sure if we were in heaven and you look at God, you'll see yourself. yourself and if right. I look at God, I'll see myself. Are we wrong? No, yeah. none of us is wrong. So, you know, it's just, I wish we could really just bring that aspect back to our art. It doesn't mean that we're not going to sing about sex or anything. No, <laughs> it just means yeah. that the value we put into our art, it goes beyond money. Mm. You know, it goes beyond money. And once we're able to do that and mm -hmm. figure out how we could do that, we're in. We're in. We're in. Wow, Mazi. Oh my, this was powerful. This was powerful. I just would want to know if you would look back and see 10-year-old Umazi, what would you tell her with after everything that you've gone through, that you've done, that you've conquered, that you're continued to fight against? See, I still see the activism side. You said you weren't being an activist, but I still hear it. Well, with like, my art. With your art, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I have a different approach. Um, mm -hmm. What do I tell my 10-year-old self? Baby girl, I'll tell you, just do it all. Just whatever. I do not regret anything except messing <laughs> around with a couple people here and there you yeah, know of course Fuck like boys. right uh, <laughs> honestly that's <laughs> literally yes but anything but else you needed that though i needed See? Yeah, there I needed was never that. it was always a lesson yes yeah, so was a lesson honestly i love who i am today i love myself i love umazi i love the woman i'm becoming i love the woman i am and I would not be this way if it wasn't for all the 
the rebellious things I did as a kid. Like, you could not tell me, you tell, what? I don't understand it. <laughs> if I don't understand it, it makes no sense to me. I'm yeah. going to do it either way. You tell me girls have to wear pink. I don't understand it. I'm going to wear yellow. Like, you know, I don't understand. Why am I wearing pink? Who say pink is for girls? Yes. It's not in the Bible. Like, I will ask them. It's not in the Quran. I dead ass ask my teacher. It's not in the Quran. In the Quran, <laughs> like, don't say girls. I'm, so, I'm just mad. I'm just done at the fact that I already know the face that they made. Oh my god! When you would ask punished. them the question, because it's Son. like, who gave you the rights to Son. now talk to your elder I this know. way? And I appreciate my mom because my mom, she would curse any teacher, anybody who would come for me. But dead ass at home. Oh yeah, it was over. <laughs> <laughs> she'll but get in you. public, like, she'll oh, defend you. Yo, I could right. do that. I think that's why I I just took risks. Yeah, and um, and she just supported me in her own way. Even though she was very conservative, my my curfew was six p.m. until eighteen. <laughs> wow, Imagine. how did that work? <laughs> that didn't work. I moved the whole continent. I moved three continents because. <laughs> That's how that worked <laughs> to become an adult. Even even your, I bet your homegirls like in get Nairobi six. at six, everyone is still doing homework. Like we don't really what? start anything until Girl. like nine, and then even at nine, that's when we're just having our pre-game of the pre-game to Son. get to at eighteen. The and you know the drinking age is eighteen, 18. in Kenya. Yo, Yo, it was just a struggle. I know. I appreciate my mother. I love her. So, my, I'll tell my ten-year-old self like, don't change your thing. Just Go for it because who you were and who I am, I'm still the same Umazi. I'm just wiser and more African, if that's anything. Yeah. Right. Love it. Thank you so much, Umazi. Definitely, I'll have your Instagram. Are you on Twitter as well? Fake Twitter, but I'm there. (laughs) If anyone has any more questions just about like attaching spirituality, if you have your own projects, like they'll definitely hit you up. It's um, underscore Umazi, Umazi, the the creator. Or no, Uh, just underscore underscore Umazi. Umazi. Yes. Yes. And yes, this has been another episode. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Echo PM. Shout out to Canal Street Market and Listening Party for producing this episode with me. Stay tuned for more. Catch you on the interwebs. Bye.